0: Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. This is going to be a learning episode. If you're a veteran like myself and you want to learn about being resilient in life, in business, in your health. This is going to be the episode for you. But first, I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, when I joined the military, I got hooked on energy drinks. But now that I'm an old man, I'm only allowed to drink one a day. And the one that I choose is a company called Bonvera. They have an energy drink that has no sugar and no crash. So definitely check them out. (laughs) Mr. David Morrow, how are you doing, my brother?
1: I'm doing great, Richard. How are you, man?
0: Uh, I'm just, like I said, I'm sipping (laughs) on my energy drink, having an amazing day. I get to hang out and talk with you, so life is amazing.
1: (laughs) Right on, brother. That
0: sounds great. What about you? What's going on with your day?
1: Oh, geez. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, I got a lot on the go, I'll be honest. Uh, That's typically how I operate, so right now uh, it's all business, so been uh, grinding, sending out emails, working on sales, uh, trying to put together a marketing plan, uh, actually sitting down with my uh, photographer slash videographer, planning out a few things moving forward. So kind of letting the dust settle from the last few months, to be honest, and kind of getting my bearings. That's that's where I'm at right now.
0: So to give us a little bit of background from uh, where did you grow up and what kind of little boy was David? <laughs> I told
1: Uh, you we're going to go way back. Going way back, way back into time. Uh, Well, I mean, I'm a suburban kid. I grew up in uh, Montreal. still am in Montreal. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty, pretty chill, laid back childhood. I, you know, played a bunch of sports, had great friends, awesome family, always had this, I guess, thrill or this, this kind of propensity to gravitate towards GI Joe and uh that was just one of those things that was always in the back of my mind like hey man i'd love to be in the army so we'd always play guns me and my best bro Uh, we would you know run around the neighborhood and try to shoot each other and then eventually got water guns and nerf guns and you know then eventually we got real guns so uh i guess childhood was 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 awesome Uh, i you know i really uh i really was lucky in that sense and uh you know from there just kind of morphed into what what i do now so yeah
0: now were you an athlete? Um, were you good in school?
1: I was a jack of all trades and a master of none. I can pick up a sport relatively quickly, but that's usually where I plateau. So I played everything. I mean, you know, being Canadian, I mean hockey was was the go-to. I used to blow up my candles every year I want to be a, you know, starting defenseman for the Montreal Canadians. That that never happened. I never really got of, I never really got out of like the 15 16-year-old, you know, house league uh, league. So uh, you know, I swam, I played basketball, I I, I basically played everything, played baseball. But uh, was I, you know, did I excel? No, not really. I was just relatively good. I just like playing sports. And then academically, I was, I was half decent with not much effort. So I was able to get by with, you know, 80s in high school. But uh, I was just fortunate enough to be surrounded by like the smartest people I, I know and still know, which are, who are my friends? Like I'm, I'm, I'm like the, I'm like the dumb, dumb out of all of them. They're doctors and lawyers. And, uh, you know, I, I, am the infantry guy that uh, now runs his own business. So, uh, I was, I was basically pulled up by them. So I, I did okay. And in, in, in school, and, and I really appreciate learning. And that's kind of what, what led me into my teaching career. Now in
0: 1986, I actually had the privilege and honor. Yes. I'm an old fart. Um, <laughs> I actually had an honor of, uh, Hanging out with some of the um, Canadian military. And I always thought, before I met him, I thought, you know, come on, Canadians are always nice people, you know. But then the Canadians, the military that I met, especially infantry, they're pretty badass. <laughs> so I got to say, I got to give you props because, uh, you know, I, after training with the Canadian military, some of those guys are and, and girls are really badass.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we have that kind of, I mean, I think hockey is the perfect analogy for wh- who we are really as like a people, right? You know uh, it's a, it's an aggressive, fast sport uh, and we mean business. And then if it comes down to it, we'll drop the gloves and, and, and punch each other in the face and then afterwards go have a beer after like, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of how we roll here. Uh, you know, we, we don't seek out that, that hardcore confrontation, But if it comes our way, like we'll punch you in the face, kind of thing. So yeah, it's a you know, for me, like being in the infantry was just a really good fit. Um, I was able to to do what I really enjoyed and kind of be a bit of an adrenaline junkie, but uh, also have that kind of like warrior philosopher type thing going on as well because I like to read and, and learn.
0: So okay, you know, my wife's a big hockey fan. She's a big Rangers guy, Rangers fan, and I found I find that the last two minutes of hockey is, in especially playoff hockey is the best two minutes of all sports it's all it's all action so i actually started to really get into hockey and those are the some of the toughest athletes that i've ever met i mean they'll get stitched up on the sideline (laughs) i mean that's pretty badass you know yeah
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i mean uh the uh the series this year i mean you know my i i bleed uh, red, white, and blue for the Montreal Canadiens. So, the uh, the fact that we made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, I haven't seen that since I was well, the last time we were there was 1993. So I was but a young buck of what 12, and we won the cup that year. And uh, since then, we have we've been shut out. Like we just haven't had the teams to make it there. And we made it there by fluke this year. But uh, we had some really hard-nosed players like Corey Perry he was stitched up like he looked like Frankenstein. His face was just like half cleaved off and he went into the room and came back and he just had that big scar down his face. It was like iconic for the playoffs this year. Yeah. Typical, you know, Canadian dude, just, you know, getting his face stitched up coming back out and and finishing the game kind of thing like yeah that's one thing you see in hockey that you don't think you see in many other sports Is just uh you know you lose like all your front teeth and then you're back out next shift kind of thing uh (laughs) you know like it's pretty uh and i i take it for granted too right you know i've grown up watching hockey so you know punching punching somebody in the face in a, in a game is i think it's the only sport in the world where you can actually punch people in the face and then you're not out like you, you get back in five minutes later and you're, you're back on the next shift so yeah it's pretty unique in that sense
0: so now you you've played with toys toy guns and then um, i love hearing everybody's recruiting story so talk to us about your recruiting story and how you joined the military and what that experience was like
1: yeah really simple so the unit i joined was the Canadian Grenadier Guards? So if you think to the Grenadier Guards in in London that do the uh, changing of the guards, so you know they have the red tunics and the bearskin hats, we're modeled after them. So we have a similar red tunic, and uh, it looks really sharp. So my buddy, who I didn't know at the time, obviously was doing recruiting at my uh, college, and I was just like, "Whoa!" I was like, "That guy looks sharp." You know, he's got dress blue pants on, red tunic. I was like man, if I wore that, I'd pick up so many girls and, uh, yeah, me and my best bud, we just walked over to the recruiting stand, had a quick chat and we said to ourselves like, man, we've been like playing for years. You know, we, why don't we just go learn how to throw grenades for real? And so, yeah, it was right there. And then that we, uh, we both put our names down and, uh, for what, I can't remember what the reason. Oh yeah. So my buddy joined that year. Um, And, uh, I didn't because my paperwork just wasn't going through for whatever reason. And, uh, I just decided, well, you know what, I haven't heard anything back, so I'll go work for my uncle in insurance. And then my best bud was like, Hey, like, are you signed up? Are you, are you like, are you coming on basic with me? Like, I'm like, what do you mean? I thought this was done. I didn't think we were even joining. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm leaving in like two weeks. What are you talking about? So, uh, it turns out I joined the year after, but, uh, he went on to a really good uh, military and and police career. And, um, you know, I, you know, followed on and and stayed on for about 15 years, um, with the, uh, with my unit and deployed in, uh, in 2010 to Afghanistan. So yeah, I loved it from the start pretty much. And I was really, uh, I was really happy to to see that recruited, that recruiter recruiting sergeant that day, because it kind of, it totally changed my life uh, for the better, for sure.
0: Now, you know, if you tell somebody in the United States, um, you know, I did 15 years and I got out, they would be like, wait a minute, are you out of your mind? You know, you're just like, because most people, they believe, you know, if you're in for 10, you might as well do the whole 20. So um, what was your mindset of after 15 years of and then deciding to get out?
1: Oh right, so th- there's a few there's a few things that were I guess mitigating factors. Like first of all, as a reservist from start to finish, so we have our systems a little bit different. Uh, I I know uh, for you guys down in the states, it, reservists aren't quite the same as reservists here. Like our units don't get deployed per se. Like I was deployed with you know reservists that they're like, yeah, my unit got stood up and we got deployed. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and w- for us, it's all volunteer, and we were like you know, climbing over each other to get tours in Afghanistan because we hadn't had a real combat tour, in, for since Korea. <laughs> like we, we had Bosnia. I tried to get on that. It wasn't any spots. So yeah, that was one factor is that I was a reservist, So I was never really full time until I decided to deploy. So, you know, all our pre-training and, and then deployment and post-deployment, I was a full-time Full time soldier, but then after that, I, I got injured overseas, so uh, I was I was forced out essentially. I, I it wasn't really my decision. I w- I was medically released, so uh, yeah, because of that, I, I wasn't able to to stay in because I was I was considering making it a like a full time go, what we call the reg force here, um, and uh, potentially you know joining as a or, or rejoining as a um, as an intel officer, but. I just wasn't in the cards you know I, I you know I, I met my wife and uh, you know eventually we settled down and you know we have two beautiful kids now so it just wasn't uh, it wasn't in the cards so um, I you know that that ship sailed I guess earlier on and, and don't forget I joined when I was 19 too so uh, after 15 years I, I still you know I, I, I was still in my early 30s so um, you know I, I I was you know plenty of plenty of time in, in another career to do other things and uh, you know our pension isn't amazing um as a reservist but it was good enough and it wasn't reason for me to to
0: stay any longer now um when you came home from afghanistan because i you know i've i've interviewed hundreds of of uh, veterans now and first responders um did you come back okay or did you notice something was off
1: i thought it was okay (laughs) i was uh i was like "Hmm." that was i was like that was non i guess that I came back and I was like, man, it didn't really affect me at all. This is awesome. But that was just, I guess, ego talking. Um, I, you know, I was single at the time. I, you know, I was just turning 30. It was really a crossroads in my life. And I was just really, I guess, excited to get back after it and, and start my new life after tour without really addressing what I seen and done over there. Um, and it turns out, yeah, what, what I'd seen and experienced over there did have lasting effects that only years down the road did I actually start to address them because, you know, my life was, was starting to kind of stall out. Let's just put it that way. And, uh, because of that, I, I, I sought help. So, you know, like, I don't want to make it sound like I was involved in, in, you know, uh, my, I was a knee deep in grenade pins kind of combat or anything like that. Uh, for me, it was essentially, and I'm very open about it. You know, I, I had the opportunity to to help open schools when I was there. I was was directly implicated in that kind of process. So uh, and being a teacher by trade, it was just a natural fit. I got to go in classes and help out and it was great. It was a great experience. Um, But then when the attacks started to happen against the children in the neighborhood and them, you know, the the child abuse and the the sexual assaults that we were aware of, but we weren't doing anything about it, that was what kind of crushed me a little bit. So I kind of put that out of box, um, you know, before I left and said, well, I guess I'll, you know, keep that there and not have to address it. And it will probably go away. And I was, I was very, very wrong about that. But thankfully I had the, uh, you know, the wherewithal my wife as well, um, basically said like, go see somebody. And that kind of led me to where I am now, to be honest, um, I was able to start healing and, you know, I I feel good now and I'm able to have my own business and I'm a lot more engaged with my kids and and everybody around me. So yeah, definitely like the, the experience over there did have a, a lasting effect, but you know, uh, the, the you know first few years when I came home, I just denied that it, it did have an effect.
0: And one thing I love about you, um, I loved one of the articles you, re- you wrote. Um, I don't remember how long ago, but it was pretty, pretty recent, you know, about how you, you got injured, got injured during, you know, during the war. But it was the best thing that ever happened to you, because, you know, one of my mentors, Ed Milet, always talks about how things happen for us. They don't happen to us and everything is a teachable moment. So can you please talk about, you know, your, your thought process, talking about your injury and how it actually helped out the rest of your life.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for reading that too. Um, that was my first, That's my first blog post actually. That was, I can give you the context behind it. I was, I was in the process of leaving my teaching career, starting a new business. There's a lot of tension at home. I was literally in the airport in um, Schiphol in um, in Amsterdam because I, I convinced myself and my wife that I need to do this four-day seminar, business seminar in Spain. We have a child already, a two-year-old, and we have uh, another one on the way. So my wife's pregnant. And uh, so I, I basically... I, I traded in all my, uh, all my capital, uh, with my wife to, to, uh, and it was just, there was something that compelled me to write. Like I, I remember getting off the plane, I had a layover and I had to write. I'm like, I have to write about this. There's something that is compelling me to do this. And so I sat down in the, basically like in the airport lobby and I just started typing away. And, uh, you know, I just felt like I had to be grateful for what had happened and uh, make sure that for whatever reason that got, you know, widely disseminated. And if, you know, a few people read it, awesome. But that was kind of the start. That was basically the start of me being honest with myself and, and everybody around me that I'll, I'll, I'll be an open book because I want to make sure that, you know, if I'm in this situation, I'm sure there's others in the situation too. And um, I hope that you can get a little bit of, of context, but also a little bit of hope that just because you're injured or just because you're banged up or just because you're suffering doesn't mean that you won't be able to one day see the light and, and get better and, and affect other people's lives positively. And that was basically the, it was, it was kind of like a watershed moment for me. I felt very emotional to be honest, after finished writing that. Um, and then seeing the comments come in uh, that was also, yeah, that was also very emotional for me too. Cause I, I kind of, I put it, it was hard for me to write that. I, it wasn't easy, but I, I felt compelled. And, and at the end of the day, it was a, it was a great decision. And it it really motivated me to keep on going and write more um, and uh, more posts and do more blogs that are,
0: uh, you know, honest and, and relevant to, you know, my experience. Now, one thing that I can really um, relate to you, even though, you know, you're a young buck, um, <laughs> I was, I was in the health and fitness industry now, for now for going on 33 years. And when we got deployed, you know, everybody else would be buying beer and, you know, other magazines. I'm not going to say which ones, um, but I, I I was the guy that had the protein powder. I had the creatine. I had, all you know, all the pre-workouts and I had all the muscle and fitness magazines. So I could definitely relate to, to you, you know. Um, and one thing I love about what you talk talk about is, you know, sometimes we have to, if we need to get healthy again, you know, we need to get healthy, the mind, the body and the soul. So talk to us, you know, because I know you talk, you, you love helping military guys, guys and first responders increase their performance in life and in their, in their bodies also. So can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the bread and butter of, of why I got it into this business was i mean firstly it was because i was injured so and then i i i realized that wait a second i i'm able to like do what i thought i was never able to do like you know compete in sports and do some crossfit and even though the military basically said like you're broken like you can't you can't work you can't uh you know lift anything more than 20 kilos for the rest of your life uh, basically, just sit in your bed and and shut up and and take pills. And I was like, man, that that can't be the way forward, can it? I, I was barely even thirty. So uh, just taking that idea um, and saying, can I can I spread this further? And that kind of gave me the idea, of like, hey, I just want to I want to create a company that promotes the best scientific knowledge surrounding health and fitness for the military community and veteran communities just because I know that community. So therefore why not work with it? And um, you know, I just did, you know, some market research and there just wasn't many people in that space. So I said, okay, cool. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and so from there, I just started um, taking the knowledge that I, I, I had accrued over decades. Cause I was always a science nerd. Like I always had mental health, like since I was what, 14, 15, I had a subscription, so I would just read and read and read, and then eventually got a science degree. And so all these things kind of led to this company that I created to hopefully help, you know, an individual a veteran or, or a service member who's currently serving, figure out just some key components to making your body work better. So typically what I see like from the young bucks, I know you called me a young buck, but I'm going to be 40 in two weeks um, <laughs> the, uh, The younger, especially dudes, you know, they're in their 20s, they're hard chargers, they want to, you know, kick down doors and like shoot like ISIS in the face. That's a whole subsection of individuals and they're typically, okay, I want to get stronger, fitter, and I want to be able to pass election. Cool. Um, What are the the components that you need to work on there? You know, so we we look at kind of the whole picture and uh, typically they want to improve physically. And then we try to throw in, you know, a little bit more, uh, with respect to mindset and stuff like that, because that, you know, was going to ultimately be the thing that's tested the most. But then we noticed that, you know, when we start working with the, the veteran population, that are a bit older, the physical stuff is, is important, but it's getting over the, I guess the stigma of most feel that they're broken feel that they, they once were, you know, a lion or, you know, Those days are past. I can't do that anymore. There's a lot of negative self-talk. So, you know, having that component of, you know, making sure that your mindset is good is really, really important. Have, you know, somebody that's been through it as well to actually say like, well, have you considered that you can unbreak yourself? You know, like contrary to what you've maybe been told may not be a hundred percent but you could improve by 10%. Would that sound like a good, you know, a good proposition? It's usually, yeah. And then that spiritual side of things too. um, You know, that's why I love talking to individuals. Like I just had uh, John McCaskill on.
0: Um, I was just going to talk about John.
1: (laughs) Right on. Yeah, exactly. I
0: had some questions about John.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome dude. Uh, You know, and and that's, I think that's something that, you know, especially the spiritual side of things, I, I think, not only being military members, especially when you're younger, uh, that's kind of cast off to the side for most. Like, what do I need that shit for? Like that, I don't need that hippie shit. Like, no, I just need to do my I just need to do my PT, make sure I'm good to go, you know, work on some mindset stuff and have at her. But um, you know, I looking, you know, for, you know, uh, at longevity, whether you're in the career or just in, in life in general, that spiritual side of things, like that Trinity, there's a reason why there's like a holy trinity, right? Like it's in threes because you you have to identify with that spiritual side to get through the really shitty times, and that's why you know guys like John, um, you know we, we talk about you know taking that mindfulness moment and just connecting with your emotions, and that's something that especially in the in the you know let's say the infantry sphere where it's you know ninety nine percent guys, it's very you know ego driven. There's a lot of competition, which is good, but it, we don't really have that that kind of softer side, which is a critical component to um, looking at your career long-term and and taking care of yourself long-term. So that's why, you know, on podcasts, I try to explore those topics a little bit more, um, more than maybe people would assume uh, being, you know, army or infantry guys to that, you know, we actually look at that kind of things, those kind of things, because they're important. Like they're, they're, they're part of who we are as, as, as humans, and you can't neglect that side of things. So I try to incorporate that as much as possible with the people that I talk to.
0: Now, you know, I'm a big fan of John McCaskill um, and Will Schneider um, from their podcast, which is amazing. And because of John, uh, if you guys don't know John, he's a a retired Navy SEAL commander. He wrote a book called Embrace the Suck. Uh, What a great book. But he changed my life because um, I had him on my show. I had Will on my show. And he challenged me. He said, you know, I, I want you to. Start thinking about your nighttime rituals and your morning rituals, because those two hours of the day are going to dictate the other 22 hours of your day. So what are your thoughts on night, nighttime rituals and morning rituals?
1: Oh, now we're going down the rabbit hole. I like this.
0: We're going deep.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. I'll reference, I'm just name dropping here. No big deal. But uh, so another Navy SEAL, um, that's uh, Doc Parsley, Kirk Parsley. Uh, I followed his stuff for years because he was on my buddy's podcast when podcasting wasn't cool. It was just for nerds. And I listened to his stuff. I'm like, wow, this guy's basically saying that everything we did training wise, operationally, when it comes to sleep, you know, like going for days on patrol, no sleep, or, you know, a few hours here and there, and then not having like a recovery plan. He's like, that incurs a lot of damage long-term. And when you're young, you don't realize it, but you need to figure out, Uh, what your recovery plan is going to be after something like that. And it's, he's not saying like, don't do it. It's part of the training, but to have some sort of plan and um, you know, he was uh, he's a medical doctor and you know, he's a Navy SEAL and he noticed, you know, that his SEALs were just falling apart uh, emotionally, physically, couldn't really figure out why um, they're moody, you know, their performance was dropping. And then he just started looking at like the the one big, I guess, like flashing like light that was just not being addressed, which was maybe these guys aren't sleeping enough or maybe they're just not capable of sleeping enough because of maybe they have, you know, traumatic brain injury or they, they're suffering from some emotional stress or post-traumatic stress or so then he started looking at that and then he started figuring out, oh, wait, yeah, we do have like a lot of guys have broken sleep patterns. You know, they're going to bed late. They're playing video games. Uh, you know, they, they just they don't know how to down regulate before going to sleep and, you know, reading his stuff, listening to him and eventually having him on the I'm religious when it comes to making sure that I have a proper down regulation time. So like I basically make my sleep as sacred as possible. Um, So that's a habit that uh, I try to instill into everybody that comes, you know, through my coaching programs is you can train as much as you want. You can eat as well as you want. But the big elephant in the room is if you're not sleeping properly, your hormones are going to be so jacked up. You're not going to be able to, benefit from the all the other things that you're doing so it's it's almost like creating a new religion for somebody that is you know used to you know getting a few hours here and there not really prioritizing it and doing all the wrong things because for them i mean like sleeping i mean like everybody does it it's not like you need a course in it it's like walking right but when you start saying like well your sleep's kind of messed up it's like really is it and there's a lot of pushback i find on on the sleep thing more so than the um more so than nutrition so uh like my protocol, my sleep protocol, I basically just took directly from Doc Parsley. So, um, you know, about two hours before I'm supposed to rack out, I go off easy on the um, on the electronics, get off the computer. My phone has a reminder says, hey, you're supposed to go to bed in about an hour, hour and a half. So uh, the, you know, uh, blue lights blocked out um, on the iPhone, you can do that. I think all phones you can do that now. And then start turning down some lights, start maybe doing a bit of foam rolling. Um, and then just kind of get ready for bed. Like if I start feeling that sleepiness, okay, time to go, even if it's not really quite close to my bedtime. And I just listen to my body. And then in my bedroom, my wife and I, we make it a cold, dark cave. So as cold as humanly possible. So, you know, if we can get it down to like, I'm going to do it in Celsius, 15, 16 degrees, which I think is like 67 degrees ish uh, Fahrenheit. Try to keep it around there, and then try to keep the room extremely dark. So we have blackout shades, we have another set of blinds, um, and that's just to get ourselves hormonally ready for sleep. So we have pretty good sleep, and our kids sleep really well too. Their rooms are super dark. Um, you know, we, their rooms are cold as well. And, uh, yeah, we ensure that, you know, sleep for them is prioritized because we notice the difference. Um, if they're not sleeping, they're just a disaster, but if they are, we, we can sleep through the night as well. So we haven't really had the issues of, you know, young parents with, you know, kids that are waking up every hour of the, of, of the evening. So our sleep is prioritized and theirs is too. So, you know, I, if yep. there's, you know, anybody out there that's fig- trying to figure out like, well, why can't I lose weight? Like I would say, first things first, you got to start out your sleep.
0: Okay, now I got a question. Um, because I find that when I do, um, you know, even right before I go to bed, um, you know, I pray to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's that's my um, not, but I, I soon before I go to bed at night, I try to think of you know three things that I'm grateful for, and I try to think of you know the what I'm grateful that happened that day, and then when I wake up in the morning, if I open when I open my eyes, I'm just I, you know, I just give thanks and I'm grateful. Does gratitude play an important part of your life before you go to bed and when you wake up?
1: So before I go to bed, I, I don't have that gratitude practice. I have it at supper time with the family. And then I have it in the morning when I, I just write out my day. So I have a, I have a fancy, you know, (laughs) I got if somebody's listened to this and they sent it to me, I want to say thank you. I have no idea who sent me this awesome journal. It's got my name on it. It's, it's, a, it's a daily planner journal. And it's got, you know, what are you grateful for? So uh, in the morning, that's mm-hmm. where I write it. And uh, that just came from, you know, listening to some really successful people explain what their morning routines were like. And when I was struggling and I didn't know what was going on in my life and I didn't have a real purpose and I, I was, you know, trying to figure out what what am I dealing with here? Uh, I was definitely suffering de- from depression. I just, I went to journaling and uh, that gave me a lot of clarity and focus and especially just the, the small amount of gratitude, whether it's, hey, I'm thankful for my, like, Really nice espresso this morning just to express that a little bit of gratitude, um, because although I'm not overly religious, the the funny thing that, you know, we're talking about spirituality, um, I, I would say the last 10 years, uh, you know, I was kind of devoid of, you know, any kind of organized religion, but um, definitely had, you know, just a, you know, it was like a journey I was on, but definitely in the last few years, especially since I had kids, that whole idea of like spirituality and like the, the, the higher cause and like the, the different energy you put out into the universe. I don't have a, I don't have a fixed or or like a fixed religion I identify with, but I definitely feel that calling to a higher power. Um, And, you know, that's kind of the journey that I'm on and, you know, listening to really intelligent people and really um, people and people that are just like have good, kind hearts um, and listening to how I feel and how I can actually like manifest that in, in my reality, that's become really important to me and writing those those things that I'm grateful for, uh, as frivolous as they may seem, uh, definitely allows me to guide myself through the day
0: a lot better than when I wasn't doing it. So, you know, one, one of my, you know, like you said, Ed Mylett is, is a mentor of mine and he always talks about, um, you know, before before to go to before he goes to bed, he takes a warm shower and when he wakes up in the morning, he takes a one minute cold shower just to get the body shocked and get it moving so what is your morning routine like
1: yeah i'm loving the i'm loving the cold therapy that's uh again something that you know when you just become more open to things and you start talking to people on podcasts uh, you get exposed to really interesting ideas and that whole cold therapy um concept i was turned on to by a friend who's talking about the Wim Hof method. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but essentially there's, you know, a breathing practice, but there's also a, a cold therapy practice, which the research is just showing incredible benefits to cold therapy. So, um, in the morning, um, especially my lead up to, um, to doing the Ironman a few weeks ago, I would definitely hit the cold therapy quite often. And, um, especially if I was at the you know, the spa, um, I do a lot of hot, cold therapy, um, just to, you know, stimulate the, uh, the metabolism that produce a lot more, uh, mitochondria. I mean, yeah, it does wake you up. There's definitely an adrenal response for sure. Um, but it also, like the research, it, it seems quite clear that if you're doing that cold therapy, you're, you're inoculating yourself to, to stress and, you know, not having a, a wild response to cold water is basically training yourself, just like you did in the military, to stressors. Um, and so my morning routine, now anyways, um, has shifted a little bit. Uh, I typically shower at night, and uh, so usually I have a warm shower then. If I'm training during the day, that's typically when I'll have my cold shower. So my morning routine basically looks like get up around 5.30 a.m., um, head downstairs, have about 700 mLs of uh nice, crisp, cold water with some lemon and a bit of salt in it. And then I go do a basic flow exercise routine. So that's basically for my back because my back, uh, my back got injured. That was my main injury from, uh, from Afghanistan. So I do that daily. So I don't suffer from any pain. Um, and that takes me about 15, 20 minutes. And then I do just a, a really simple breathing, uh, exercise. um, that, uh, you know, I, that takes about 10 minutes as well. So uh, I do some some breath work. And then from there, I go up and have my espresso and I start writing my my morning, uh, my journal. By then, typically, my daughter's up. And so then I take care of the kids and get them ready for uh, for daycare and stuff like that. So it's relatively simple. But because it's, it's consistent, it grounds me for the rest of the day and it allows me to, like, focus on what I need to do. And I notice when I don't do it, when the wheels start to fall off, that's when, you know, things get chaotic, stress goes up. My mood changes, and so that's that's kind of my anchor point for the day.
0: Okay. Now, you know, like I said, I've been in the health and fitness industry now thirty three years, and this and this show is actually sponsored by one of the largest uh, supplement companies in the world, Nutribio. And I love talking to trainers, but um, a lot of times I have a lot of friends that tr- that are trainers, and when I go over to their house, and you know, I always see the stuff that they have out but then I ask them to open up their cabinet and what they're really taking. And a lot of the stuff they don't talk about. So if I was to go into your house and open up your, your, where you keep your supplements, what would we find?
1: Uh, Yeah, you would find omega-3. I take that regularly. A lot of vitamin D either by spray or, or pill form magnesium. Um, I have, a big jar of salt so it's a three to one potassium to sodium uh ratio that i have in there um, and a lot of cbd oil <laughs> and that's about it i mean i occasionally i'll take a um especially when i was doing a lot of running um i take a collagen supplement okay so uh sh- shout out to uh to Charlie Bales and the CB Supplements uh, down in Florida, uh, he makes a really good product, and um, I think is what saved my knees from falling apart during a uh, lead up to the Ironman. But that's about typically supplement that much, except for you know a few key minerals uh, that I know I need uh, when I'm training hard. And um, the omega threes is uh, and the vitamin D are basically my my go tos. And it's cool because I do I do it with my family too. Like my kids love getting like I have the uh, vitamin D spray from On It, so um, they you know, they, I'm like, okay, open up, <laughs> it's vitamin D time. Yep. And so the kids open up and then we give them a few sprays of that. So especially here, like in the winter, it gets very dark, very fast uh, up here in Canada and it gets very cold. So we don't get much vitamin D um, and that is, you know, uh, a, a known factor for, you know, respiratory uh, illnesses and stuff like that and all kinds of other nasty little uh, things that can creep up if you're vitamin D deficient. So I might prioritize that for sure.
0: Yep. And most people don't realize that a lot of times, if you go into the hospital for heart issues, some of the first things they do is pump you full of 50,000 IUs of vitamin D. So there's yep. a re- reason for it. And there's a reason why a lot of people, I don't care what side you, you're on, um, you know, with as far as COVID goes, a lot of people that are not vitamin D deficient, if they do get it, it doesn't affect them. So there has to be a reason why we should definitely take more vitamin D. But I didn't know I was going to go here on this topic, um, but we're going to, since you mentioned it, we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, A lot of people, you know, you see CBD everywhere, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, our bodies were meant to take in cannabinoids. So, like I said, I just want you, you know, because I I talked to a lot of veterans that use cannabinoids, CBD, cannabinoid, to help with depression, with PTSD, with body aches. So talk to us a little bit about your experience with uh, CBD.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the yeah cannabinoid receptors are, are an interesting whole subsection of, of science. Like uh, the, 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 just the, if you think about like the concept, you mentioned it, like we have these receptors in our body that are receptive to cannabinoids that's really cool when you think about it. So, uh, you know, where do you find them? Well, I mean, like when we create an actual product, like a CBD product, obviously we're getting in a concentrated form. Um, and depending on what your, you know, your, your use cases or what you're used to, like regardless of, you know, your, if, if you see it from a, like a, a politicized lens, um, essentially we're looking at a in medicine here um it it has some really interesting properties it has a very low incidence of, of overdose you I mean if you're if you're looking at just cbd itself um you know i, I find it interesting because i know in this where you, where you guys are at but i think it's dependent from state to state because uh, here in canada it's federally um federally mandated that you know you can it, it's, it's legal. Um, and so every province is then uh, responsible for its sale, but, um, I don't think that's the same down the States. So I th- there's, there seems to be some different laws, uh, governing what you can buy and what you can't, but essentially here, um, you know, and if you're looking at just like the pure science of it, um, if you're just consuming... Is it's an anti-inflammatory. anti-inflammatory. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. Um, if you were to consume just straight up CBD, um, you may see some benefit, but um, there's a there's a lock and key mechanism that goes along with um, the, the different molecules. So the two main ones, you know, we're dealing with THC um, and CBD. And uh, with CBD, you, you do need a touch of THC in order for that CBD to enter the cell. So when I you know, have my CBD supplement, uh, which I use usually before training, um, there is a, a touch of, of, of THC. Now, when I first started using it, I noticed I got buzzed. I was like, whoa, I was like, this is cool. Like, I never consumed cannabis even in high school. So therefore, my first few experiences with it, I was like, okay. And, but then I started realizing, okay, well... I'm in control of what this is. Like I'm I'm in control of my dosage. I'm in control of everything at this point. So I'm on a journey. So what works, what doesn't. So I found the ones that really worked and how much I actually needed um, before I would go and, you know, do anything typically running. Um, I found that, you know, consuming a uh, very high percentage THC, uh, uh, sorry, a very high percentage CBD versus THC oil um, would just make me feel better. Um, I felt like I could run further. I felt like I had a little bit more gas in the tank. I felt like I was getting more oxygen, believe it or not, every, on every breath. So, um, I said, this is a really cool experience. And I, I, I posted about it on my, um, on my YouTube page That was, uh, I think a year or two ago. Um, so I modulate typically, um, like I'll, I'll consume a CBD oil daily, um, morning typically, uh, sometimes in the afternoon and I, I don't have any psychoactive, buzz from it because I'm used to it. Um, you know, what I've noticed, you know, like my my levels of pain and anxiety are nowhere near as they where they used to be. Like they're they're lower. Um it, and it could be due to a, a bunch of different factors as well. Like I just take better care of myself. Um, but it's definitely part of the whole holistic approach. And then at night, depending on the depending on the day I'm having you know, I'll have, you know, sometimes I'll smoke a joint with my wife, but that's on a rare occasion, usually on a Friday night kind of thing. Um, You know, and it it acts as a down regulator. So I basically switched away from alcohol uh, to cannabis and I regulate how much thc i i take in so i don't get too high so you know i'm you know i'm a dad and i said you know mom too like you can only get you can go so far uh when you have responsibilities uh the next day um you know so the one thing i do appreciate about is that you know i don't i don't have that hungover feeling i can control how far I go down that rabbit hole, um, and it, I just feel a lot better. So it, it washes away a lot of the anxiety um, if I'm having a rough day, which is what I used to do with booze. Anyways, I used to smash, you know, three, four, or five beers um, to take the edge off, so to speak. But now I just do it with uh, with uh, with cannabis, and you know, I, I try not to smoke as much as as uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess just because uh, for me I, I just don't want to consume that those, those toxins in my lungs. So I typically go to um, either edibles or, or,
0: uh, or oils. Okay. Now, like I said, I just, I just put out an episode. Um, now I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery now 33 years, so I I can't use any of that stuff, but a a friend of mine, um, he, he's been sober nine years from alcohol and he got off of it by using CBD. Mm. So I, I think, you know, for me, you know, not everything is for everybody, but from what I'm hearing, um, it's helping a lot of people and especially veterans. And now I have a, a young lady coming on um, next week. She's actually a uh, psychologist and a doctor. And we're going to be talking about how ketamine oh, is yeah. actually with PTSD and stuff like that. So I, I like having a show where I have all different kinds of people on to learn about all different kinds of things. Cause you never know like, LSD used to be considered, oh, that was just a, you know, getting high drug. But mm-hmm. now they're finding that it's actually beneficial for people that were struggling with, you know, PTSD and stuff like that. Also, ayahuasca. So there's a lot of different stuff that's out there. And I didn't know why we got on this topic, but it's great to be <laughs> it's able to, to be able to go down a rabbit hole and just talk about things that we're both passionate about. And I'm passionate about podcasting, so. I love my show. Um, I'm, I love what I do. I love talking to people, especially great people like yourself. So now you're into podcasting also?
1: Sure, I am. The hard to kill podcast is in season three, believe it or not, I just published episode sixty five uh, yesterday. and uh, yeah, it uh, it started from nothing, like most podcasts. And you know, I've got to you know talk to individuals like John, um, you know, other Navy SEALs, uh, you know, leaders in like the fitness space that I never dreamed of being able to talk to. And it's been a hoot. Like it was, it was started on a whim because I figured, Hey, I'd like to talk. I've got all kinds of time. I don't have a job right now. So why don't I start a podcast and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's taken me to all kinds of different places and like like this right here. Uh, I don't think I'd be, you know, chatting with you um on a podcast were i not in the podcast space and uh you know since i since i got started um it's really expanded my i guess my my view of you know just how um you know different people and and what they're what they're up to and what they're interested in and you know i'm a curious kitten so i like learning about new things and i try to keep an open mind um to those new things and explore them a little bit. And that's, that's strictly because of podcasting. And it's amazing that you can talk to somebody halfway around the planet. Like I've done podcasts with, you know, individuals there in like, you know, Latvia and, you know, Africa, like you name it States, you know, like, it's just, it's, it's a real hoot. So um yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, when I, you said you're passionate about podcasting, and you know I I am too. I think the the biggest passions I have right now, especially for my business, and I'd like to be able to one day just focus on on podcasting, and blog writing and book writing. Those I'm, I'm realizing are my two kind of favorite things to do. Aside from playing hockey outside in the winter um, and hanging out with my son and my daughter, uh, those are like yeah, there, there's something about it and if when you're passionate about something i realized you can't just let it go by the wayside and and focus on you know other things that you're just not as not as dialed into because it's always going to kind of pull you back in and that's that's what i've noticed about podcasting is that it uh it's something that i always want to do whether it's solo or with somebody else and that's why i like going on other people's podcasts too because obviously i like to talk so this is uh this is a great medium let's just put it that way
0: now ever since i knew you were going to come on the show um I've been binge binge listening to David Morrow. It's been David Morrow all the time. <laughs> uh, so it was, um, and I, you've had some great interviews with some great people and I know what the answer is, but I want you to tell the people what the answer is. Um, you know, you've talked to a lot of people that are um, s- operators, you know, Navy SEALs, stuff like that. I've talked to a lot of Navy SEALs, Delta, Delta Force, uh, Green Berets, what is, and like when I talked to John, um, he said, I asked him, I said, you know, when, you know, when you think, when I thought of a Navy SEAL before I started doing this, I would always think of that guy that's six foot five, jacked, like 3% body fat. And, and I told John, I said, bro, when I looked at you, you look like my accountant, you know? And <laughs> so, you know so I said, you know, what was it that makes you Past the selection process and and you know having a eight other 80%, 85% fail rate. And his answer was I didn't quit. So w- through your experience talking to these special operators, what is it that makes them get through the selection process?
1: I think you I think you nailed it. It's having that mindset that there's no way I'm leaving here. Either I die and until you've you've made that firm decision. I don't think you get through. I mean, I never did selection, but just talking to those individuals that are at the pointy end of the stick, they all have that similar mindset. And they're, they're all kind of laid back and kind of joke about things and can, and can look at things, you know, from a point of view of, you know, just say, yeah, like they, they, it, it's easy to kind of make jokes about how hard it is once you're done. But I'm sure once that when they are in the middle of it, they were like, man, it's the worst thing I've ever done, but I'm here now and I'm going to get through it. And I think that's something that, you know, having never done it, but just having listened to a lot of them talk about going through that type of training, the mindset like you can, you have to be fit. Don't like, don't get me wrong. But if you don't have the mindset to be like, it doesn't matter what they throw at me, I'm not going to quit no matter what, like I will die or pass out before I do. I think unless you have that mindset and it's, it's interesting because, you know, like I have a friend too, that, you know, went through that whole uh, process was an assaulter, you name it and now has a really successful business. Uh, and it seems like that translates over to other areas of your life because you've got that mindset. You're like, I'm going to succeed at this. Doesn't matter how, but I will. I think that's something that, you know, most people never really encounter if they, they haven't been pushed or haven't had a major goal that they need to accomplish to go all in is a really scary thing to do. It's crazy scary. And I think a lot of people just hold back. I mean, I did. I wanted to be an assaulter at one point in my, in my career early on, and I've written about it. I, I was too scared to fully commit because I was apprehensive of failing. So therefore, I didn't go all in. And all the signs were there. I remember, you know, I'm still young. I was only a corporal and we got to do this awesome enemy force exercise with our elite special forces unit. And literally the, one of the guys was like, Hey Dave, man, like have you ever thought about uh, doing selection? I'm like, ah, yeah. But, but in reality, yes, I had, i have been, you know, just training my ass off, um, for months before. And I never submitted my paperwork. And even though an individual is like, Hey man, you should really consider, you know, hopping on that. you got, you got a really good mindset. I was too young to to appreciate what that actually meant. Um, and so I try to convey that to the younger guys too, right? Like if you have the mindset, like I want to do this, then you have to devote everything to do it. Um, and, and don't, and don't hold back. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the, the main takeaway from those high speed individuals is once they commit to something, it is going to happen. And, um, it's an important takeaway, I think. And I think that, you know, the hard to kill philosophy kind of tries to embody that as much as possible, like go in, go in and go all in. And for, in our case, you know, with, uh, with hard to kill is, you know, go all in on your health, like don't hold back, get yourself as healthy as possible because not only is it beneficial to you, but everybody around you in your community,
0: uh, they all benefit. I love that. Now we're gonna last for the last ten minutes. We're gonna talk about business because this is also in uh, in in the business um, realm. Also, you know, one thing the military teaches us, um, we know how to we know how to write an SOP standard operating procedures. You know, we know how to be successful, um, and I think that's one thing we have over the civilian sector is, you know, when you're in the military, no matter what country you're in. You work until the mission is complete. To where a lot of jobs, you're like, okay, you get into work at at nine, you hang out by the water cooler till nine thirty, then you clock out at four o'clock. And you know the military guys are like, wait a minute, we still got shit to do. <laughs> so I think um, that is something that helps us in business. So what do you think translates great from military into the business world? <sighs>
1: Yeah, it's that, it is that attitude that I'm going to get this done and it's getting up early and staying up late. And I know that flies in the face of, oh, making sure you get to bed early. And But yeah, there's a, there's a time and place. Like if, if you need to recover, you recover, but there are times when you need to put your, you know, the, 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 the pedal to the metal. And that might mean sacrificing a little bit of sleep so that you can get that stuff done, but realizing that you can recover afterwards. That's to me the the heart of a professional, Um, and I think in that business realm, and I I I started to talk about this uh, you know about a year ago and uh, mentioned it on another podcast. Can't remember who's, but you know it seems like at least here in Canada we're in the middle of what I call a veteran renaissance, in the sense that we're creating businesses and we're 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 getting involved in politics, we're starting to see ourselves and our voices heard a lot more because well it's the first time in, in. Canadian history since the Second World War, really, that we have a large group of young veterans that, you know, typically we always have this view of a veteran as, you know, in their 80s, 90s, right? They're all old timers from the Second World War. Well, that's not the case anymore. Like we're in our 30s, you know, that that's the typical, you know, veteran here in Canada and we're opening businesses and we're starting to form communities. And I think the reason why that is, is because the translation from military service to, uh, or the transition from military service to, to business is, is an easier transition than from military service to the job market or to like a regular job. Because I did that. I went back into teaching and it, it made me miserable because I was, you know, uh, granted, I, I really liked the colleagues that I had. It was just the mindset that was there was not a mindset that I could get behind. It was very, you know, well, let's just sit around and wait for our pensions. And I, I can't get behind that. I just, I, I, find that as almost like a defeatist attitude. And when we needed to get something done, like, yeah, we work crazy hard, like teachers. And like, I did it for nearly a decade on and off. And I, you know, my parent, my mother, my mother was a teacher, a bunch of my, um, a bunch of my relatives are teachers. I got to give it to them, like you work like dogs and, um, you know, you don't get paid very much, but you know, you do it because you're passionate about it. I get that. But ultimately at the end of the day, I find the mindset is kind of, is kind of broken. The difference in entrepreneurship is that you create your own world so you know if you're creating your own company like my company like my the values of the company are, are very similar to the military values like it's it's the main one is honesty you got to be honest. And at no point do I want to break that trust with anybody that comes into my into my realm. So like my business is based around honesty, plain and simple. Um, And I'm not going to bullshit anybody. I'm not going to rip anybody off because I know that, especially within our community, as soon as you're, as soon as you're labeled as, you know, a, you know, a scammer or whatever it may be, or, you know, you're dishonest, that's it. You're done. And I get that because I wouldn't want that to happen to me if I was, you know, working with another veteran run business. So I think we have that that level of honesty that was kind of sorely lacking, I think, in the in the business world, at least there there's there doesn't seem to be that. I guess that virtue of, of honesty, um, especially with bigger businesses. So um, I think that's where we're going fill to a, fill a gap um, where we're not so driven by profits. You know, we want to be profitable, but we're more uh, centered around the, you know, the, the experience for those individuals that are either clients, but also the employees that we have, you know, look after your troops and promote their welfare is like one of the biggest, um, tenets of our, you know, of, of leadership and just applying that, you know, like, you know, I have a bunch of buddies that have companies and they have employees and, you know, just an example of one, you know, like, uh, you know, he's, he's a buddy of mine. He has a really successful uh, HVAC company on growing slowly and slowly slowly and his teams you know they keep getting bigger and bigger and he's able to poach people from other companies and the reason why he's able to do it is because he doesn't look at the bottom line he looks at his personnel and he says you know what i gotta treat them just like i did my troops and if they're you know they're having a hard time they have a lot they have other lives like they, they they have to be looked after because if you want them long term they got to understand that you know we have your back and that's what he does he has their back so you know if they can't finish a job on time you know, he tells the client, look, they're not going to finish today. They're going to come back in a a day or two. Um, and I appreciate that from what he does. and, And that's what I try to do, even though I don't have a, the same type of business, um, those that do work with me, you know, I make sure that their you know their time is respected but additionally that they feel like they're a part of what we're doing here and I, I think that's that's an important aspect um, that uh, especially a lot of veteran-owned businesses that I see is that you belong to the community that you feel like you're part of a team um, and that uh, is probably something that is going to, uh, to last and we're going to see that kind of influence a bunch of different uh, businesses in the future
0: okay so we have uh, three business questions that I, I like to ask um, first of all if you had to start all over again with little to no money, how would you do it in this today's age of social media?
1: Well, yeah, good question. I, I did, <laughs> I had no money. I, um, I basically started uh, using the tech that I knew how to use. So the apps I knew how to use were, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and email. And I didn't have a website. I didn't really have anything. So the beauty of starting a business in 2021, if you have a half decent idea and you write it out and you say, okay, I'm going to make this happen. Well, what is it that you can actually do with zero money um, and and try to get it publicized and and get enough people to get on board? For me, it was a no-brainer. It was a service, which is coaching, um, that – doesn't require me to actually make anything. So I didn't have to, you know, pay a manufacturer or, an, or, or get a distribution contract with anybody. It was all on me. So that, you know, for anybody that's deciding to get in the business, if you can sell a service right off the bat, um, although they're typically a bit harder to sell because you really need to convince somebody that, you know, especially when you have no clients, that you're the person that somebody should, put their money and faith into, um, typically it's your friends, right? When you start out friends and family that you're begging as a client, uh, begging to be a client. Uh, but I would say like you can, you can start very, very easily just by using the, the free tools that are, that are at everybody's disposal. And I, I use Facebook, but whatever, it, you know, whatever it is, if it's TikTok or any one of these social media platforms, if you're using it correctly, LinkedIn, it doesn't matter if you're using it correctly and you know it well enough, you can start making, you can start making in and then figure out whether or not you want to turn this into an actual business or just a side hustle.
0: Amen. Cause I'm, I'm a big, I love LinkedIn. I love, love, I love, 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 love LinkedIn. So what is the most important lesson you've learned while in business?
1: Uh, watch your numbers. <laughs> I think watching your numbers. Uh, I'm not a numbers guy, uh, but uh, so I guess to expand on that is find people that complement your weaknesses. So for me, I'm not a, I'm not a day-to-day guy. I do day-to-day, but I'm not the best at it. I'm better at, uh, you know, I like, I left as a, I left as an infantry officer. I like coming out with a plan. I like figuring out, okay, the strategy, how are we going to go ahead with this? Cool. Now moving down to the next level of the implementation and having somebody manage that that's something that I'm not the greatest at so finding people that can actually start helping you out with that because when you start out you're a one man shop you're you know your marketing your you know <laughs> strategy your uh, customer support you're the coach you're literally everything you're and that's that's basically how any kind of side hustle turns into a business and then you realize well, it is getting a bit too big for me to handle everything so what what can i delegate and so figuring out who you are as a person I think is a huge, huge benefit to you because if you don't know who you are fundamentally, like what your strengths are, um, you might make a bunch of mistakes just based on that fact alone. So, you know, I did, I did a lot of psychometric testing. So I did like MBTI Myers-Briggs test. I did a, um, a big five test through uh, Jordan Peterson's website. I did a whole bunch to figure out like what am I, who am I as a human being? Like I have a feeling, but you know, it's good to have some kind of objective um, like benchmarks. And basically I found out like, yeah, I'm a big picture guy. I'm an adventurer. I like starting new things, but when it comes down to like nitty gritty process, I'm not that guy. So if I'm in that role, I'll get super bored and I'll get distracted and I'll try to find something else. So find the people that can actually do that for me or in with me is, is a huge benefit. So I would say, you know, like one of the biggest things is just know yourself and then figure out how you build your business, knowing what your characteristics are like.
0: Okay. Uh, last two questions. Now, how do we find you? How can we find your podcast? How can we get coached by you?
1: Hmm. A great question. So the easiest way is to go to DaveMorrow.net, and you're going to find at DaveMorrow.net, you're going to find uh, the my training programs. There's a training programs tab. There's the blog tab, and then there's the podcast tab. If you go to any one of those, you're going to find all the um, all the podcast episodes, all the blog posts. Um, you also uh, figure out um, how to contact me. Um, I've got different forms there you can fill out as well, um, and yeah, you can set up a time to chat with me or one of my uh, one of my coaches that's on the team. Uh, we've got a pretty good team set up here with athletic therapists and and uh, you know CrossFit coaches and you know high performance coaches. So uh, we're really building out um, you know a business to to really be able to serve kind of the, all the different um, levels of, uh, of fitness and and and, uh, and goals that individuals are going to come to us for. So definitely head to DaveMorrow.net. And you can find everything there.
0: I love it. Now, um, last question. I ask a thousand people, I get a thousand different answers. Um, You know, in the States, we're still under COVID restrictions. I think we're starting to lock down again. So in New Jersey, where I live, a lot of people lost their jobs. You know, we got grandparents homeschooling kids. We got, you know, parents driving Uber and and DoorDash just to put food in the kids' mouths. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to do it. So if somebody's listening to this podcast and are sick and tired of being sick and tired with their health and their mindset, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get some help?
1: Well, that's a really good question. Um, I would say that. <sighs> And this this kind of touches on the my my overarching philosophy is like if we want to tackle the world's problems like we got some big problems that are hurling at us really quickly, uh, COVID being one of them. I don't think we're going to be able to solve them unless on an individual basis we're good, we're healthy, we we feel like we can go ahead and 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 take on those challenges. Um, and so I would say in 24 hours, I think the most important thing that you could do is, is, uh, go and just check in with yourself. What that means is if you can take five minutes to sit and just observe, you know, you want to call it meditation, you want to call it mindfulness and just listen to what is going on inside. That is so profoundly important. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand the power of that. And it, it doesn't mean you have to sit there with your legs crossed or anything like that. It's really just sit quietly and just listen. And I think we've lost that ability to listen to what our you know, physiology is telling us and what our, like our, our, our inner kind of engine is telling us. Um, and I think if you can start there, because I like starting with habits that are super, super, super simple, that there are no fail habits. It's not going to do pushups. It's not going to read a book. It's not going to listen to a podcast. It's really just, can you sit for five minutes with no distractions and start listening to yourself? And that's how I started. I started just literally lying on the floor and just closing my eyes and breathing and look at what's happened. You know, I've got a business, so, you know, I've got two kids now. Like, it's just, it's amazing if you can just think, where do I want to go? In that five minutes and like mm-hmm. what is happening inside when I think about is this where I really want to be and how to manage the world around you starts to change because you've actually put that energy out into the universe and I know it sounds like really kind of hairy fairy and like hippie shit but like it's true if you can start thinking about a better future it starts to manifest itself so five minutes take the time to chill out relax listen to your body and start slowly think about where do you want to be and don't even know, you don't even have to have a, an answer to that. Just like, where do you want to be? And can you visualize it?
0: And then you can start working towards that goal. I love it. So guys, if you're listening to this, go to www.davemorrow.net. Check them out. Um, amazing website. Very easy .net. to use. Easy, even for a low tech redneck like myself, like it's easy to navigate <laughs> I want to thank our sponsor once again, Jason Lane Curtis of Bonvera for always giving me my energy without any of the crash or any of the sugar brother. I want to say thank you for hopping on and um, I appreciate you. And um, I'm so grateful that we've become friends. And if there's anything I can ever help you with, push it out. I will. This will go out uh, next season. So I just want to say thank you so much for hopping on today.
1: Right on. Thanks, Richard. I really appreciate the, uh, the time you spent with me and uh, all the best in the future. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch.
0: All right, brother. Have an amazing week. You too, brother. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. Hey, guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out, hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out, it's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass kicking coffee and and it it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives.